2 Timothy 3 is our passage of scripture this morning, and uh, this will be our last message in our Together series. Um, next week we have a guest speaker named Jeremy Bell who's going to be visiting from our sister church in Souderton, Pennsylvania. Really looking forward to his time with us next week, and uh, the title of the message this morning is Engaging Our Culture Together, engaging our culture together from 2 Timothy chapter 3. So if you could open up your Bibles and read along the Word of God together with me, that would be great. 2 Timothy chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambre opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation, through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, in these... Last days, we pray that you would give us grace as a local church family to hold firmly 
to the word of the gospel. Lord, we know that there are attacks from within and attacks from without, attacks from our culture seeking to cause us to loosen our grip on the truth. But God, I pray that we would hold your word with conviction and believe in it firmly. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to deepen in our faith and to grow stronger to as the Scripture was read this morning during worship, Lord, to to stop doubting and believe. Almighty God, have mercy on us as a church family. I pray that we would be strong in our convictions from the truth of Your Word. And I ask that You would strengthen us in this as a church family as we go forth into our future together. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, there's two points for the message this morning. The first point is enduring opposition together, enduring opposition together. And the second point is firmly believing the truth together, firmly believing the truth together. So the first point is enduring opposition together. Paul here writing to Timothy the young man that he was discipling to pastor and to care for the flock of God. But this passage very relevant for us as a church family. The Apostle Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is talking about what times are going to be like in the last days. What it's going to look like worldwide in the culture in the last days. And we know that from the scriptures, we see this in Acts chapter 2, that the the last days were actually prophesied about, actually in the prophet Joel, prophesying about the day of Pentecost, that the last days really represent the time in between the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ, this time under the new covenant where we are awaiting the Lord's triumphant return and the final judgment. These last days are here, even from the day of Pentecost until now, the time keeps pressing onward and onward. And we recognize that as the last days continue to build, times are going to grow more and more dark in relation to the evils of the culture. The scriptures say that as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be like in the, in the, in the times of the end. There's going to be an increase in wickedness and an increase of culture's evils. And here the Apostle Paul's talking to Timothy and he's he's saying, hey, listen, there is going to be opposition and persecution that you're going to need to endure, Timothy. He talks about his own persecutions and sufferings in verse 11 where he, he says, Timothy, you know about my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me. Yet from all of them, all the Lord rescued me. And then in, in verse 12, this Very important verse from Scripture, brothers and sisters. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There are many believers, and Galatians talks about this, who are seeking to avoid persecution for the sake of the cross of Christ. We see this in the epistle to the Philippians as well. There are many who are seeking to avoid being persecuted for the cross or being persecuted for living a godly life in Christ Jesus. They can be chameleon Christians where they look like Christians at church and maybe even having the form of godliness, but denying the power, not walking in the good of the gospel, not walking in the godly life in Christ Jesus that we're called to walk in. 
as Christians. And here the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, everyone, Timothy, who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted in this culture. And so, brothers and sisters, it seems fitting as we kind of head into the close of our together series that we really reckon with this truth in point one, enduring opposition together. We've got to remember that there's opposition in our culture. That stems out from the opposition of Satan to the Word of God. The opposition and rebellion from Satan to God and His people. From the very beginning, we are engaged in a great spiritual warfare together. And we must put on the full armor of God. We must gird ourselves for battle I, we, we were just uh, contemplating this this past number of weeks, uh, Ben, John, and I, just in relation to Daniel chapter 9. I was reading it at my quiet times this past week, interestingly, in the providence of God, where Daniel fasted and prayed for 21 days for an answer to his prayers. And the word from Gabriel from heaven was that the moment you started praying, Daniel, 21 days ago, I was sent to you. And Daniel was told by this angel, and you can read about it in Daniel, this angel was resisted to getting to Daniel for 21 days by this force, this demonic darkness called the Prince of Persia, resisting him to get to him, to give him an answer to the prayer request that he had. There is a great spiritual battle that's taking place. And as Ephesians 6 in the New Testament talks about, our battle's not against flesh and blood, but we must recognize that there is a great spiritual warfare. It involves the angels, it involves the demons, it involves God, and it involves satanic forces and Satan himself against the people of God and against the truth. And we must recognize this as the body of Christ and really gird up to endure opposition together. Now, this opposition takes on the form of flesh and blood, though the original source of it is from Satan himself and his demons. Underneath of the sovereignty of God, there are in no way anywhere a rival to God in terms of power, but underneath of the sovereign control of God, the forces of darkness, war against the truth of God. And it's evidenced by, within culture, there is a great opposition to the truth amongst those who do not believe. We see that opposition described in verse 8 of Second Timothy chapter 3, where these two men, Jonas and Jambres, oppose Moses. Now, they're not actually mentioned in the Old Testament, but according to early Jewish writings, these two men were amongst the two magicians of Egypt who countered counterfeit miracles to God as God laid down miracles through Moses before Pharaoh and the people of Egypt when, when Moses was saying, God says, let my people go. There was direct opposition from satanic forces through these two men and And here, Paul is bringing these two men to light, and he's putting it before Timothy. He's putting it before the New Testament church, and he's saying this. Listen, understand that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. There will be times of opposition. That word difficulty there in the original means fierce times, 
perilous times. Times that are full of danger spiritually, brothers and sisters. Hazardous times. Times where we need to take care and to be on guard and to keep watch and to be sober-minded as the people of God and to recognize that this opposition is coming and it's upon us even now and to not be surprised at persecutions to think something strange is happening to us, but to reckon with it as a reality that if I want to live for Christ, if I want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, here's a promise. I will be persecuted. I will be opposed. And so, brothers and sisters, we must recognize that here in these last days, there will come times of difficulty. In verse 2, he describes that it's going to come in the form of individuals, people who are going to be characterized by these character qualities. He says, people will be lovers of self. Lovers of self is talking here about lacking consideration of others. Selfish. Lovers of money. That there's going to be great avarice and greed. The coveting of money within the culture in the last days. Greedy for material gain. Great desire to possess money and the worship of mammon. Proud. What this means is that there's going to be great braggarts and boasters in the last days. Individuals who are trying to draw attention to themselves and not to God. They're going to be arrogant. This word here in the original is talking about a haughtiness, which we know under the Old Covenant, the Lord says that one of the things He hates is haughty eyes. Arrogance here is always seeking to appear above others. Always thinking in your mind, I'm above others. I'm superior to this person, this woman, this guy. I'm above the people who are around me. Superior, self-important, snobbish, disdainful, shaming, contempt, lack of respect for others. There's going to be great disobedience to parents. Stubborn, willful disobedience to authority. There will be great abusiveness. This word here is talking about sort of being impious. It speaks of being profane or irreverent. As well as hurting other people. Ungrateful speaks to being unthankful, thankless. Not feeling or showing pleasure, relief, or gratitude for the things in life. Unappreciative before God. This word unholy, this next character quality is talking about being, it's a broad word that speaks of being wicked and sinful, evil and morally wrong, iniquitous, corrupt, this heartless or unloving, speaks of being devoid of natural affection. The opposite of cherishing affectionately others. Hard-hearted toward kindred and other people. Unforgiving speaks of being implacable, unappeasable, unsparing. Can't be satisfied. When someone wrongs you, you're bitter toward them and, and they can't get off of your bitter list. Slanderous means It's actually from the word Diablo. It means you're a false accuser. Just like Satan is the accuser of the brethren. 
the people in the culture who are Satan's children, First John talks about, and underneath of his persuasion also are false accusers, slanderers, speaking the language of the evil one. Without self-control will characterize these last days. This speaks of being powerless to stop the appetites, inclined to excess in every way, brutal. That word means fierce, savage, not tame, refusing to come underneath of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, not loving good as despisers of those that are good, hostile to virtue and righteousness in others, an active opponent of God's kingdom. Treacherous means a betrayer and a traitor. Reckless, that word means plunging thoughtlessly, headlong, rashly, and impulsively into sin. Swollen with conceit means individuals walk around puffed up, high-minded, and again, haughty. This lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I, I just spent time just meditating on each one of these descriptions of individuals. And brothers and sisters, I was so just grieved as I found myself in every one of them. And I was thinking, God, thank you for your mercy and your grace in saving me. Lovers of pleasure means that individuals will be fond of pleasure versus being fond of God. They will be impious as opposed to pious and righteous Having a form of godliness or piety, but denying, which means disavowing, rejecting, refusing its power, the power of godliness. Its power speaks about the mighty work of God, refusing to acknowledge the mighty work of God even though they want to have the appearance of godliness. Oh, brothers and sisters, this description is, is so sad, and yet it's spoken of here to Timothy, where Paul says to Timothy, in relation to engaging the culture together, he says this, avoid such people. And it's an important point in relation to this, that when it says avoid such people, we must have a real passion for holiness amongst all of us. And in connection with that scripture there, I think of 1 Corinthians 5 verse 9, where the Apostle Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he's talking about how they need to remove from their fellowship an unrepentant, sexually immoral man, and he writes and he says, listen, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. <laughs> but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. And the description here seems to be that there are some even still within the church who 
are living with an appearance of godliness and they're putting on a show, but reality is they're denying its power. They're living in unrepentant sin. And, and Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, this needs to be dealt with in the church. We need to make sure that the influence of evil is driven away from the church. Now listen, every one of us struggle with remaining indwelling sin. This is different. This is an individual who is claiming to be a Christian who absolutely is refusing to submit their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But they want to appear godly. And so Paul's saying that we need to be a counterculture within our culture in order to make a difference in our culture. In other words, people should be looking in, unbelievers should look in and see our lives as professing Christians and as genuine Christians as different. They should be able to look in and say, there's a difference here amongst these people. Look at how it's not just an appearance of godliness, but it's the real genuine deal. This is sort of what he's getting at here, that in the midst of the last days, in order to make a difference within this culture, I think the first point we need to recognize is we need to avoid the evils of the culture. There's a lot of thought out there given to how we need to actually, we need to contextualize ourselves and become like the culture around us. Listen, by all means, let's, you know, wear the clothes they wear so that by all means we might save some and become all things to all men so that we might save them and preach the truth to them. And they can, as we are messengers, men and women of God, who, who get into like clothing like them, and maybe look like them, and learn different cultural connections like them, we are seeking to win them to the truth. But brothers and sisters, that never means that we become worldly like the worldly culture. We are always meant to be holy and godly. Unbelievers are meant to look into this inside of the church and be able to say, wow, there's something different there. And so, they should be able to look in and see a difference. So much so, that it actually causes us to be persecuted for it. I think there's so many professing believers that are so just trying to hide their light under a bushel, never talking about Christ, ashamed of really speaking up for Christ and the word of truth. It's like almost like we're seeking to avoid persecution at all costs. Brothers and sisters, anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Christ community, we need to reckon with this and make sure that we are together building a counterculture upon the word of God that stands out in contrast to what the people are going to be like in the last days. We need to repent of every remnant of where we identify with ourselves in that list and to be constantly turning our backs and forsaking our sins, confessing and forsaking our sins and turning to follow Jesus Christ. We must believe in Jesus Christ and repent of our sins and know that when we do, Christ's perfect righteousness is credited to our sinful accounts and we are reckoned righteous in Jesus Christ as a free gift from God the Father in our justification and to rejoice in the good news of the gospel of free grace. But we must also desire godliness, true godliness and true holiness and to be a counterculture in the midst of this world that so desperately needs to see a difference. J.C. Ryle speaking about this 
and speaking about Jesus bearing witness to the truth in his teaching and his life, says that the servants of Christ in every age must remember that our Lord's conduct is to be their example. Like him, we are to be witnesses to God's truth, salt in the midst of corruption. And what we have here in 2 Timothy 3, this early description, is a description of corruption, the corruption of this world due to evil desire, as it says elsewhere in the scriptures, We are called to be salt in the midst of that corruption. Light in the midst of this darkness, Ryle says. Men and women, uh, let, let this be a vision caster for us, Christ Community Church, and may we do so more and more. Men and women not afraid to stand alone and to testify for God against the ways of sin and the world. Men And women not afraid to stand alone and to testify for God against the way of sin and the world. A counterculture, brothers and sisters, that does not compromise to the spirit of the age. As Romans 12 says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind according to the word of God. A counterculture that never compromises, but also always warmly welcomes sinners in so that they can hear the gospel and come under its influence. And so, brothers and sisters, when unbelievers come into our church body and surprise, surprise, they're characterized by these qualities. May we patiently and lovingly share Christ with them, share Christ with them, share Christ with them and By the power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel, we'll see the Lord save them, cause them to be born again, and then God will clean their act up. What's so sad sometimes in the church is the church is often expecting sinners to come in already cleaned up, already polished. We want polished sinners here, seems to be the mindset of many churches today, listen, no, we want to welcome sinners of all kinds into the church. And if you're lost, welcome. We're all saved sinners, forgiven sinners. The only thing that separates us from you is that we've been forgiven. And we have the Holy Spirit now dwelling within us. But if you are distant from God, far away from God, unrepentant, and haven't yet believed in Jesus Christ, you are most welcome here. But we are going to not tire urging you to repent and believe in Jesus Christ and watch the Holy Spirit transform you to where once you couldn't stand godliness or maybe even lived with an appearance of godliness but denied its power, the Lord is going to bring you into the real thing and we'll all be rejoicing along with the angels in heaven at your great salvation. Oh, this is the kind of church body we want to be. Never compromising the truth, holding up the truth passionately, boldly, and yet welcoming sinners in and being patient with them, preaching the gospel to them so that what they encounter when they come in here is the love of Jesus and the message of Jesus and so that they're transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. But we are going to receive opposition for this, brothers and sisters, and we must own up to it. We must recognize the reality of it. Paul experienced it. He's urging Timothy to recognize that it's going to happen. It's here, Jonas and Jambres oppose Moses. So these men, speaking of the men 
who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins. These men are and led astray by various passions. These men, just like they oppose Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. False teachers who live falsely as well. And they must, must repent and turn away from being corrupted in their mind. Because as it is, Paul says, they are corrupted in mind and they are disqualified regarding the faith. That disqualified means that they are rejected. They are castaways. Oh, and brothers and sisters, I'm very moved by this. And I'm also encouraged. One of the qualities here that it talks about in relation to such people and false teachers that were infiltrating the church here is that among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women. I have just been affected, and I'm thinking about this in relation to just the the treatment of women in general, and I want to just touch in on this as I think it's very important. Here it's spoken of as they are captured, they are exploited, they are treated as objects, they are abused, they are taken advantage of, these women. This is what these men do. And Paul's saying, not amongst true Christians. Brothers and sisters in Christ of Christ's community, women here are to be honored. They are to be cherished. They are to be highly esteemed. They are to be protected spiritually and materially. They are to be respected. Let there be no evil thoughts, coarse joking, lewd talk that denigrates women. And wherever it's been present in our hearts, our minds, may we repent over it and turn away from it. So affected in our culture a few years ago in the NFL when there was more outrage publicly in our country, more public outrage over the mistreatment and abuse of dogs than the mistreatment and abuse of women. And may it never be amongst genuine Christians, men of God, young men of God, Everyone else around us in the world and our culture may enter into laughing at things. May we not laugh at it. May we not engage in it. And if there's two two things over the course of this election season that I've been really moved by in relation to a commentary on our culture that I think is tragic, two things need to be held up and regarded and affirmed again within our midst. Number one is the sanctity of human life and defending the lives of the unborn passionately. And secondly, holding women up in honor and treating them with dignity, respect, and purity. Oh, brothers. I was moved by a story back in 1997 when I was at the Sovereign Grace Church's Pastors College. There was a a, a march of men in the Washington, D.C. area. And as the men were, Christian men, were gathering together to worship the Lord, they were taking the D.C. metro into the city. And so the, 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 the trains were packed with, with Christian men. And there's a story of, of two women who were 
in the midst of this and didn't know what, we're go- what was going on. These unbelieving ladies who were on the train going downtown. And one of the testimonies of these women was that even though they were in a train full of men, they never felt so safe. Ah, how proud I was in that moment. May that be who we are. And may we distance ourselves from the denigration of women. The abuse of women and the abuse of children that we see so rampant in our culture. Let us rise up, gentlemen, and be the godly men that God's calling us to be and be a counterculture in our world. I was so affected. I wasn't even expecting this in 2 Timothy 3 at first, looking at the treatment of women here. Where you can tell that you're Christians by the way that you treat women in godliness. And with holiness and honor, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. But we are to be different. Something should stand out about us. And where there's still the remnants of the old life, gentlemen, let us repent. Let us turn away from those things. Let us confess our sins to God and to one another. And let us forsake. And let us be different for the glory of God. Amen. Oh, brothers and sisters. I'm so encouraged, though, here in the midst of all this opposition. It says these men, they oppose Moses, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. They will not get very far. There we go. There's some power of God over the power of the forces of evil. Uh, Though Satan raged with all of his demonic forces and though the culture rise in opposition, it's like Psalm 2 says, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. They will not get very far. For their folly will be plain to all, as was it was for those two men. Yeah, we remember what happened to the Egyptian music, uh, magicians who tried to counterfeit every miracle. They only got so far. God's power was on full display as God triumphed over every one of the false idols of Egypt and showed and displayed all of his wonders before Pharaoh and all of his hosts and delivered his people out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. That's our God. In the Exodus... And that's our God in the cross, triumphing over Satan, triumphing over this world through the blood of his cross. And brothers and sisters, how good it is to know that our God is sovereign over evil and says to evil thus far and no further. Here's where your proud waves halt and they halt. But we will experience opposition nonetheless. Let's turn to point two. Firmly believing the truth together. Firmly believing the truth together. Verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, Timothy. My conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. Here, brothers and sisters, we see a counterculture that Paul's talking about that really just speaks so differently of the character qualities that were mentioned in the beginning of chapter 3. Here we see fruits of the Spirit. 
in the lives of true believers. Here displayed through Timothy, but also spoken as important for every one of us. Paul is saying, Timothy, you are different. You have been transformed by the power of the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you have followed. You have followed my teaching. This teaching here speaks to the apostolic gospel. It is referred to as the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And we are called as the people of God to follow the teaching to submit our life under the Lordship of Christ and to joyfully believe in the truth and follow the truth. I'm excited to enter back into our series in Matthew entitled Follow Me in just a couple weeks. And Ben, John, and I are really looking forward to entering back into that together. But following the teachings of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried And he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Oh, brothers and sisters, here we see the difference in embracing not error, but teaching. The true teaching. And here he says also, you followed my conduct. We see that the gospel is meant to make a difference. Not just in what we believe, but in how we live. Our conduct must be transformed, we bear fruit that evidences the reality of our salvation. And Paul's saying, Timothy, you have followed this. You have followed my conduct. You have followed my godliness. Your godliness isn't just the appearance of godliness, Timothy. It's the real deal, he's saying to him. You have followed also my aim in life. I was thinking of Acts 20, verse 24, where the Apostle Paul says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I might run the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. I love that verse. His aim in life, he considered his life worth nothing to him. If only he might run the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given him, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. He was a man ambitious for the gospel. And Timothy was also likewise ambitious to proclaim the glorious gospel. We are to be ambitious church. With a single-minded and wholehearted devotion to glorify and please God. And may we do that together. He says here, my faith. The Apostle Paul, amongst other things, was an example to Timothy in relation to his faith. And may we also, I'll speak to faith stronger in just a moment, may we follow passionately his faith. He says, my patience. Here's a couple words, brothers and sisters, I think that really connect with what we've been teaching on community and fellowship in our church. My patience. In a local church, in order to be faithful for a long time through the years and to be bonded together in the unity of the spirit through the bonds of peace and to run the race together all the way to the end. We must be patient with one another, don't we? We are going to encounter the weaknesses of men as we bond together with men. And it requires patience. It requires bearing with one another. May we excel in this Christ community. May we be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. We are 
to follow the example of Paul in relation to his love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It keeps no record of wrongs. Oh, I was so convicted of that lately. Just, oh God, where am I keeping a record of wrongs towards someone that's hindering my ability to love them the way you have loved me? Brothers and sisters, we all must constantly press into these fruits of the Spirit in our lives. I love this one, my steadfastness. Some of you know the verse in Isaiah 26 too. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is what? Stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Steadfastness. May we be stayed on thee. May we be steadfast in mind and heart, brothers and sisters. And may we also sign up in our hearts, as we talked about in point one, to say, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to be known as a follower of you. We've got to recognize that when we were water baptized, we were publicly identifying ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ. And whether we even knew it or not, that means signing up for persecutions and sufferings. Where are we at with that? How are we doing in our hearts with that? Are we sort of subtly demanding that we never experience persecution or opposition, that we never go through sufferings? Oh, brothers and sisters, let's not look at our sufferings as if something strange is happening to us, but look that these trials and persecutions are meant to draw us near to God and make us desperate for Jesus. And that that in and of itself is a good work. And then here he goes on, he talks about the persecution and that we will be persecuted. He speaks back again to the culture in verse 13, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Timothy, I love this phrase, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a great verse? Firmly believing the truth together. Brothers and sisters, looking at this verse, we know that the culture is going to go from bad to worse. But encouraging word, as the culture grows darker and darker around us, the true light of Christ shining out from true Christians is going to shine brighter and brighter and brighter as the darkness grows. Just as even a small night light in the pitch darkness of your hallway at nighttime can light up the whole hallway so you don't stumble down the hallway as you're heading down the hall. The darker it gets, the better it is for a small night light. And we will shine like that as the true church. And let us take heart in that reality. But here... Well, here's our call, church. As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. The NIV says, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. It's not enough for us to know. We need to be convinced. Convinced. We are never going to be able to endure the persecutions and the satanic opposition and the oppositions of our culture that we are going to need to endure if we're just half-heartedly holding on to the word of truth, like willy-nilly, like, brothers and sisters, may we, by the grace of God, hold fast, hold firmly to the word of truth 
and to continue in it. That means to endure and to carry on. Thank God for the way that your faith has been held firm all through these years. God has been faithful that we're even sitting here right now. But there is an onslaught coming. And young people, can I please get your attention? We want to see you running for Jesus 50 years from now, not just today. And we want to bump into you 50 years from now and see you following Christ and being a pillar, a man and a woman of God in the church. How does that happen? You're doing some math there. I'll be 93, right? I hope I am alive for 93. I'll be, I'll be hunting all these boys and girls down. Like, come on, go hard for Christ with my cane. <laughs> I knew where you were going. <laughs> you guys are awesome. Oh, I hope to live that long to see the gospel baton passed. But brothers and sisters, if we're just holding to it loosely, if we've just got a, well, my mom and dad believe it, and you know, I, I just, they go to church, and so I kind of ride along, that's not enough! I want to urge every one of you young men and women of God to rise up and thank God for Ben and his leadership in Crossfire and the godly parents that we have in our church who, for some of you, from your infancy, have helped you to be acquainted with the sacred writings. Like Timothy. Grandparents, we need all of your efforts. Parents, let us marshal all of our efforts to help our kids and our grandkids become acquainted with the truth of the Word of God. May we be known as moms and dads and as grandparents who hold firmly the word of truth ourselves and who pass on the sacred writings to our children and our grandchildren. But children and grandchildren, we cannot believe for you. You must lay hold of the truth for yourselves. You cannot get into heaven on mom and dad's faith or my mom and pup-pup's faith. You must hold fast to the word of truth yourselves. You must believe in Jesus Christ and bow your knees personally at the foot of the cross and repent and believe for yourself, lest you perish. And may God give us grace to walk with this sober-mindedness. Timothy, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Let us be convinced of it. Not enough just to know the scriptures. Though knowing them is good. It's so vital for us. To know the scriptures. He says how you've learned. You've, you've, you've followed my teaching. He was committed, Timothy, to the church. He was also a learner of the scriptures. Bible study. Personal Bible study. No doubt also in the church underneath the Apostle Paul. Learning the scriptures, learning the sacred writings. And he was acquainted with them, it says here, from the very first days, even from the time he was very young, by his mother and his grandmother. We learn that in chapter 1. How beautiful of a picture. But all of those advantages would mean nothing to Timothy now if he does not heed the Apostle Paul's admonition, Timothy, as for you, continue. Continue in what you have learned. And have firmly believed. It's not just enough to believe in some light way. There were many who believed in the times of Jesus' day. When they saw the miracles of Jesus. Who did not savingly believe. They believed with a spurious faith. As the theologians call it. It was just a light hearted faith. That was kind of amazed at the miracles. And amazed in a general way. 
but they did not bow their knee to the lordship of Jesus Christ and embrace the forgiveness of Christ through his finished work on the cross, and thus they remained in unbelief. And as soon as hard times come, they passed off their faith to return to the world. Brothers and sisters, may we continue together in the faith, once for all delivered to the saints, and may we firmly, firmly believe. Because of this, these scriptures, they are able to make us wise for salvation. There is nothing that matters more to the men and women on this earth than that whether or not they are saved. Whenever I'm asking somebody, hey, are you a Christian? Have you trusted in Christ and repented of your sins before? And they say, I have. I say, there's nothing more important about either of us than that. Nothing more important. Oh, and brothers and sisters, the scriptures are breathed out by God. Verse 16 says, may we love our Bibles. May we cherish our Bibles and may we not, and may we read our Bibles. May we not fall into the condemning description as one pastor has said that most Christians reverence their Bibles, but do not read them. Oh, shot through the heart. It was a dagger reading that thinking, oh God, please help us be a church body that doesn't just reverence our Bible and keep it nice there on the stand, but never open it to read it, to learn from it, to become acquainted with it so that we would be wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. May we cherish and love and be hungry for the Word of God. And if you're not hungry for the Word of God, may you fast and pray and cry out for more hunger for the Word of God, that your life might be built upon the truth. And you know, that's a very legitimate prayer. God, I'm lacking hunger. Help me to grow in my hunger. Turn me into a ravenous lion for your truth. Remember me and my family went to the Philadelphia Zoo one time when they were feeding the lions. Oh my goodness, look out. This one lion must not have eaten. You guys might remember this. They put a big, big slab of steak. I never saw a piece of steak that big before. Wish they would have said that to me. (laughs) And this lion just tore this thing apart. May we feast on the, the meat of the word of God. May we grow strong in the faith. We can't expect to grow strong in the faith if if we are anemic in the word of God, brothers and sisters. All scripture is breathed out by God. That literally means, as B.B. Warfield has written, they are produced by God's creative breath. They are full of life. They are living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. They are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent equipped for every good work. Oh, brothers and sisters, may we firmly believe the truth of God's word together. May we stand upon the truth of God's word together in this culture that so desperately needs to believe in Jesus. If we back off of the word, if we back off and say we don't want to be persecuted, we don't want to be opposed, we want to be chameleon Christians and just step back and just kind of go with the flow of the culture rather than cutting against it. Brothers and sisters, How are they going to hear without somebody preaching to them? Oh, friends, may we be more passionate about Jesus Christ and the Word of God 
than any other passion or pursuit in our lives. You know, in this current season, a temptation for all of us to be passionate for something more than the Word of God or more than the Gospel is politics. We should care about politics. We should exercise the blessing we have been given by God through our great nation that men and women have fought and died to preserve, to vote. We should have perspectives on politics. But, brothers and sisters, we should never be more passionate about politics than Jesus Christ. No politician ever saved a soul. And no government has ever brought a dead sinner to life. Only the Holy Spirit can do that through the power of the Word of God in the sacred writings, through faith in Jesus Christ, and through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Our lives are to be wholeheartedly committed to God and following Jesus Christ and not other things. So let us avoid becoming more fired up about anything in life. Anything more than Jesus Christ. And so I say this happy thought. So go vote. And be at peace as you vote. However you vote. Because no matter what the results of the election. I love this. Jesus Christ is sitting on his throne. And therein lies our hope. And let us give thanks to God that he rules. And he reigns. And that the word of the Lord endureth forever. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, how can we thank you enough? For your mercy, for your grace. Uh, Damien, if you and the worship team can return, we'll, let's sing about God's grace. We thank you so much for sending your son. Thank you so much for overcoming the world. Thank you that in the midst of this satanic opposition, and spiritual warfare and this culture that is so opposed to you, that God, no matter how much men oppose you, and demons oppose you, and Satan oppose you, you sit enthroned in heaven and you laugh. Because your great power rules over all of it and is in control of every single act by every one of those creatures. They are a part of your creation. They owe their existence to you. And so, God, we do not fear. Though we, as the church, will experience opposition and persecution, we will not fear because you are with us. And your rod and your staff, they comfort us. And your amazing grace has washed away all of our sins. And we look at that commentary in 2 Timothy 3, Lord, and we see that this was once us. We were once lovers of self. 
Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to our parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. That was once who we were, but no longer. Now we have been transformed into men and women who love your truth. We are so grateful that you shed your blood to die on the cross for our sins, that you have washed them whiter than snow. Lord, that you have removed them as far as the east is from the west from us. Oh, almighty God, we just are so grateful for this glorious salvation. And we want to sing about your grace. We want to praise you for your amazing grace and that you're such a God who would die for the ungodly, as Romans 5 says. Oh, we can't thank you enough for grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all of our sin. Help us, almighty God, to endure opposition well together and to firmly believe in the truth of Christ together as we head into our future together as a local church. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let us stand and worship our awesome God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within grace, grace. God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. I've heard that there are two parts to a sermon. There's the, there's the part of the, the pastor in his office seeking the Lord, seeking his word, praying, asking for guidance, and, and him bringing us the word. And yet we're only half done. Because now we get the joy as God's people to apply the word. To go to God. To ask God, what does this look for my life? So we began with prayer personally and want to end with prayer. And just that you would just take a moment to pray, God, help me this week to apply your word. Might it be in trusting God for the next couple of weeks? Might it be sharing this good word? And so just bow your head and then I will close us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Second Timothy 3. What a gift it is to us. Lord, help us not to be just hearers of the word, but doers by your grace. Help us, Lord, to apply this word to our hearts, to our lives, Lord. For some, it might be as they go through Facebook or they turn on the TV or they read the paper, Lord, just the temptation to not remember that you rule and reign. You rule and reign today, you rule and reign next month, you rule and reign forever. And for us to rest in your rule and reign. Lord, for some of us, it might be that temptation to not want to be known as a follower of Christ. To not want to feel opposition, to not feel persecution. Would you give us your grace? 
to stand for you, to stand for truth, and to love people enough to share the gospel with them, Lord. No hope without you. Lord, help us to share our faith with others. Help us to share you with others, Lord. Lord, help us by your grace to be ravenous lions for your word. Oh, Lord, we need your grace, Lord. I need your grace. Help us, Lord, with all of these things. We don't want to just sing about grace. We want to live in light of your grace. We want to rejoice in your grace. Lord, give us your grace today and on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday and on Friday and on Saturday. And we know you will because you're a gracious, gracious God. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, we hope you have a wonderful week.